In the same way as gasoline fuels your car, carbs fuel your muscles, your brain, and all the other parts of you. Carbohydrate, starch, breaks apart to release the glucose your brain needs and that your muscles need. So it's perfectly fine. The big issue with carbohydrate is what goes with them. You take that beautiful organic sweet potato out of the oven, and what do we do? We top it with cheese doodles and bako bits and all these things. That's really the problem. You take the healthy spaghetti noodles and we top them with Alfredo sauce, cheese sauce, meat sauce, and so forth. It's the things that go along for the ride that are often a big problem. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen or a view or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate you raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 36 of season four, number 231 overall. And on the show today, we will be carving up carbs. How many carbs should you be eating? This is always a hot topic because some say that carbs are the devil of your diet, but others say that can't possibly be because not all carbs are created equal. So we are on a fact-finding mission, and it is a mission for a listener who actually wrote to us, concerned because they had just started eating a plant-based diet, but then noticed that their nutrition app was saying, hold up there. You are eating way too many carbs. So they wrote in asking for advice, and Dr. Neil Barnard is here to help them out as we open up the doctor's mailbag. We will be sorting out this carb confusion, and there are a lot of other great questions in the doctor's mailbag today as well. Someone else wanted to know about foods that can trigger migraines. And we'll also be tackling whether fiber gets destroyed when you freeze a food. So if you're eating a frozen strawberry, are you getting less fiber than if you were to eat a fresh one? We're going to find that out. Plus, we're going to be helping out someone who wrote in asking for some ideas about healthy salad dressings. Ones that actually taste good as well. And as always, if you have a question, you can send it to me right now on Twitter or Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. Just make sure that you use that hashtag exam room live. Then after we dive into the doctor's mailbag with Dr. Barnard, we're going to hear about a new lawsuit filed against the USDA. It's a lawsuit that says that the USDA's claims about dairy in the new dietary guidelines are flat out ignoring an abundance of strong scientific evidence showing the damage that dairy can do. That damage includes its close ties to prostate cancer. So we have details on that lawsuit coming up. But first, let's go ahead and open up the doctor's mailbag to clear up this carb chaos. How many carbs should you be eating? Let's find out. Dr. Barnard, this particular viewer on Instagram wrote, I recently began eating a whole food plant-based diet, but now my nutrition app is telling me that I'm eating too many carbs. How concerned should I be? Uh, the answer is not at all. Um, you might be concerned that you got the wrong app, but um, the carbs themselves are going to be okay. Um, and let me give you a few things to think about. Number one, 
uh, what you might be thinking about is calories. Do carbs make you fat? Here are the numbers. A gram of fat has nine calories. doesn't matter where it's from. Fat has nine calories. Carbohydrate, whether it's starch or pure sugar, those are the two forms of carbohydrate, four calories in every gram. So you can eat them all day long. Okay, second thing to think about. Uh, as you probably know, Japan has been the thinnest, healthiest, longest-lived country on the planet, at least before the diet westernized with burgers and things. What was the dietary staple in Japan at that time? It was rice, a huge rice-based diet. Um, and, and the Japanese people did really well until the rice started slipping away and burgers started coming in and then their um, health issues started to degrade. So rice is good, rice is good food and so are the other carbs. Um, perhaps the most important thing to say is that in the same way as gasoline fuels your car, carbs fuel your muscles, your brain, and all the other parts of you. Carbs, carbohydrate, starch, breaks apart to release the glucose your brain needs and that your muscles need. So it's perfectly fine. The big issue with carbohydrate is what goes with them. You take that beautiful organic sweet potato out of the oven, and what do we do? We top it with cheese doodles and all, and bako bits and all these things. That's really the problem. You take the healthy um, uh, spaghetti noodles, and we top them with Alfredo sauce, cheese sauce, meat sauce, and so forth. It's the things that go along for the ride that are often a big problem. And to that end, Ashley has a great follow-up question to that. She said that finding salad dressings and condiments that are healthy and taste good is something that she struggles with. So what suggestions do you have? Okay, a couple of great things. Um, when you're topping your salad, do look at, at the, the salad dressing section. Um, there are lots of non-fat dressings out there. Give them, uh, Try a few of them, see which ones you like. Or you can go even more simple. Um, have you had rice vinegar um, or organic seasoned rice vinegar? Pick them up. Some of them are just, they're light. They're really, really delicious. And some people will mix them with a tiny dollop of vegan mayo or something like that, or a touch of Bragg's. Use Bragg's aminos. You can kind of mix these things together, do a little bit of organic chemistry, so to speak. And, um, you'll find things that you really like. On your potato, frankly, you can have it just plain. Some people have it with a little bit of salsa, a little Dijon mustard, and that way you're getting away from the cheesy, goopy stuff. Here's a question from Joanne, came in at 12.05. She says that she's hit a weight loss plateau and is eating primarily potatoes. Do you have any advice for her? Uh, like I was mentioning earlier, the potato itself, not really very high in calories at all. Um, potatoes are fine. The issue that many people have with potatoes is how they top them. Uh, butter, um, margarine, um, especially cheese nowadays. Um, parents learned some years ago that if you put cheese on anything, kids will eat it. And, and it's unfortunately not the healthiest choice. So the, the real issue is the toppings. The potatoes themselves, fine. Question from Sean, wrote this on Twitter, sent in the question using the hashtag exam room live. Wants to know, is fiber destroyed when you freeze fruits and vegetables? It is not. Uh, fiber is not entirely indestructible, but pretty close. So the freezing is not going to hurt it at all. That's good to know. Uh, you and I recently had a discussion about migraines. That was a pretty popular episode here. And Vad had a follow-up question to that. Writes that uh, they've been vegan for about a month and a half and no longer have any headaches. They go on to say that when they ate meat and dairy, they had them all the time. 
but they still can't explain why their head doesn't hurt anymore. They're still confused. So why is it that meat and dairy may have been contributing to the migraines? It's a very common observation, as, as we were talking about earlier, Chuck, that, that when people get away from animal products, very often migraines uh, either just go away or improve a lot. And science is not entirely clear um, how to explain this, but here's, here, here's what is almost certainly happening. Um, within meat products, within egg products, and especially within dairy, there are certain proteins that we're just a little bit sensitive to in the same way as you might react to a bee sting by so your skin swells up, that's inflammation. Um, your body might become inflamed, so to speak, when you bring these animal proteins into your diet. And one of the reactions some people have is migraine. So you get those uh, products out of the diet, you do better. It's probably removing the animal protein that is doing the benefit for you. And what is striking is that some people will have migraines not just in response to aged cheese or high fat chicken wings or something like that, but even in response to a totally say non-fat milk or non-fat yogurt, because again, it's that those little traces of the animal protein that we believe are doing the harm. But you did the right thing, you got them out of your diet and you're benefiting. Um, tell all your friends who are still <laughs> suffering with, with headaches uh, that they can give this a try and see if they can't get relief. This is a fantastic question from Anna Marie. Wants to know, is it possible to reverse a recent diagnosis of type two diabetes in an otherwise healthy 25 year old black woman? Oh my goodness. Uh, first of all, thank you for that question. That's an outstanding question. And thank you for thinking about this. Um, 25, yes, that, that's, 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 that, that's a young age to be diagnosed with, with diabetes, but this is not unusual. We're seeing it younger and younger and younger ages. Used to be we would see it after 40, now we're seeing it early. Is it possible to reverse? Yes. Run, do not walk to the following regimen. Number one, no animal products at all. And by the way, if this is a new idea for you, don't take this on faith. I'm gonna, what I'm going to describe, I would ask you to just try. Don't set aside your skepticism. Um, that's perfectly reasonable, but give it a try. For the next, say, 8, 12 weeks, no animal products whatsoever. You're, you're going to be vegan. Um, and we've got lots of things to help you at pcrm.org and so forth. Number two, keep oils really, really low. Learn how to steam your vegetables and use um, non-fat dressings and, and cook things in vegetable broth. We're trying to get the oils out of the diet too. So no animal products, keep oils really low. And the things that are left, choose the healthiest choices. Okay, so as time goes on, you're eating vegetables, fruits, beans, whole grains. You're having your spaghetti with tomato sauce, not meat sauce. You're having the bean chili instead of the meat chili. Your tastes will adapt. And what you're going to discover is in most cases, their blood sugar starts coming down, 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 down. If you're not yet on medications, that's great. If you are on medications, be sure you tell your prescriber that you are doing this because your blood sugar is likely to fall. And the combination of strong drugs and this very strong diet I just described to you, it can mean that your blood pressure, uh, blood, blood sugar can fall sometimes a little bit too low, that's hypoglycemia. And your doctor will say, okay, great, well, let's back off your, off your medicines or stop them completely. So um, try the diet changes that I just recommended. Um, don't uh, forget B12, you need vitamin B12 uh, for complete nutrition. Put it to work, let your caregiver know that you are doing this. And can you reverse it? Absolutely. 
Um, everyone gets a different result, but by all means, give it a try. Do not do a halfway measure it would be my strong, strong advice. Don't do Mediterranean or ketogenic or any of those kinds of things. Do a plant-based diet. And the, in this program, we've talked many times about the mechanisms for it. And sooner or later, we'll, we'll come back to why it works. But for right now, just put it to work. Let's take another question about diabetes. This one comes to us from Lori, wants to know how diabetes can lead to kidney disease. Yeah, diabetes means, of course, that you have a high blood sugar uh, because the sugar is not going where it's supposed to go. It's supposed to go into your muscles and your liver to, to fuel them, but it's instead it's staying outside. It's building up in your blood. And as it builds up in the bloodstream and your bloodstream goes through the kidneys, that tiny little nephrons, the little filter units in the kidneys are affected by high blood sugar, by a high blood pressure, and also by the atherosclerotic changes that are narrowing the artery. So all those things conspire together to cause the kidneys to get damaged. That's bad news, good news. Uh, when you're on a healthy plant-based diet, all those things tend to get better. Um, and because you're avoiding animal protein, that's you'll find that your diet is much easier on your kidneys too. Um, and, uh, be sure to work with your doctor, you know, don't cancel your doctor's appointment or caregiver's appointment. Um, kidney disease is a serious thing, but, uh, this healthy kind of diet is the best way to baby your kidneys. And Sheila has kind of a follow-up to that. She wants to know how much, uh, a healthy whole food plant-based diet would help someone whose kidneys have already fully failed. Will they still see the benefits there? Um, if you have a little bit of life left in your kidneys, um, and they have some filtering capacity, a plant-based diet is absolutely the thing to do. Um, it's still the thing to do if your kidneys are completely non-functional, but if, if the kidney cells are really just dead, they're not gonna come back. I'm sorry to, sorry to say. That said, what is it that really hurts a person who's got advanced kidney disease? In most cases, what they end up dying of is cardiovascular disease, heart disease, heart attacks. So you don't want a scrap of cholesterol or animal fat in your diet, even at that point. Let's switch gears now and talk a little bit about high blood pressure. Mary wants to know what she can do to reduce her high blood pressure. She says she's eating a pretty clean diet right now. She's getting at least 10,000 steps a day, but she still has high blood pressure. What advice do you have for her? Okay, great question. And um, lots of other people who are listening are nodding because they've got the same issue that you have. So thanks for, for raising it. Your exercise is a good thing. Diet is absolutely central because it's usually diet that leads us into high blood pressure for the majority of people. Um, your, your doctor or caregiver will have said, cut the sodium. Good idea, uh, because that will reduce blood pressure a little bit. But you can go further, and that's tackling something called viscosity. Viscosity is the thickness of your blood. Uh, like if you buy a motor oil for your car, some of them are more watery, some are really thick and, um, and flow more slowly. So the viscosity word applies also to your blood. And if you have very viscous, thick, slow-moving blood, it's more like oil, less like water, your heart has to push hard to make it go through. I'm being a little bit simple in my explanation, but that's the basic idea. Um, so you need to reduce the viscosity of your blood. How the heck am I going to do that? If I can get my blood to be less viscous, it'll flow better. My blood pressure will come down. How do I do it? Um, we get the bad fat out of the diet, chicken fat, fish fat. Yes. Fish fat has got a lot of bad fat in it mixed in. Even if it does have some omega-3, it's got a lot of saturated fat too. 
and you get away from uh, from animal products in general, keep vegetable oils very, very low. And what you'll find is that if you were to measure, the thickness of your blood is lower. You don't have to measure it, but what you'll see is your blood pressure comes down. So what do you do? Limit sodium, read labels, choose the not the no sodium versions, eat all the vegetables and fruits that you can. They're, they're naturally really low in sodium. Um, and skip the animal products that will bring down your blood thickness and lower your blood pressure. And exercise is good too. Let's pivot over to cholesterol, shall we? This is a good question from Annika. Wants to know, uh, she says that she's vegan, but still has high cholesterol above 250, as a matter of fact. Wants to know what she should be doing differently. Okay, thanks for that question. You're right to be concerned. That's a high number. Um, And your doctor is going to start getting nervous anytime it's over 200. Um, About one in 10 people will have a high cholesterol level that's related entirely to genetics, meaning no matter what you do, it just stays high. So is your level due to genes or not? Here's how you tell. For the next eight weeks, no animal products in your diet. If you have no animal products in your diet, you've got no cholesterol in your diet and you've got no animal fat in your diet. At the same time, keep oils really low. And the reason for that is that even though oils have less bad fat compared to butter or chicken fat, they still have some, and that will drive your cholesterol up a little bit too. So for the next eight weeks, no animal products, keep oils super low, and then test your cholesterol. If it's if it's moving, if it's coming down, you got your answer. If it is stay, still in that high range, um, then it looks like it's probably genetic. And at that point, you're going to want to talk with your doctor about whether a statin is advisable for you or not. Question from Sally, also about cholesterol, wants to know how she can raise her HDL cholesterol. Should she be taking niacin? Uh, no. Um, my In my advice is not to. Um, and years ago, researchers happened to notice this curious phenomenon that HDL, or high-density lipoprotein, was associated with lower risk of heart disease. So what they didn't really realize is that it was sort of a genetic quirk. People who happen to have HDL, high HDL, tended to have lower risk of heart disease, but it wasn't exactly cause and effect. Subsequent studies have shown that if you do things to boost your HDL, take a low HDL, make it high. You can do it with drugs, you can do it with supplements, all this kind of stuff. You know what it does to your heart risk? Nothing, it doesn't help. Um, so the new idea about HDL is we don't really pay as much attention to it as we used to. Uh, what you really need to concentrate on is keeping your LDL, low density lipoprotein, low, definitely below 100. That's uh, really the main focus nowadays. We have a lot of follow-up questions from our migraine discussion, um, not just from last week, but we started it already today a little bit. Uh, we'll take one here from Vegan Law. It says, giving up coffee helps my migraines, but I really like it. So will I still experience some benefits if I just cut back a little bit? Double-edged sword, I'm sorry <laughs> to say. Uh, coffee drinkers do have more headaches um, than non-coffee drinkers, especially in the morning when you haven't had your cup of joe and you're, you know, in, in, in withdrawal. Um, caffeine is addictive. You know, it's, it's not the worst addiction in the world, but it is, it is physically habituating and you will go through withdrawal and coffee drinkers have more headaches. That said, the funny part of it, and we mentioned this last week too, I think, is that if you've got a headache just coming on, I'm talking about like a migraine, you, the, the pounding is starting. You run into the kitchen, you brew yourself 
the, the strongest cup of coffee you can. Have one or two cups of it. And for many people, it knocks the headache out. And that's because the caffeine itself is a painkiller that happens to be added to a lot of other painkillers. As you'll see, look at the label of uh, over-the-counter pain medicines. There's often caffeine added to potentiate their painkilling effect. So um, over the long run, coffee is not your friend. It makes you more likely to have headaches. But in a pinch, when one is coming on, you can use the caffeine as effectively a treatment. Yeah, didn't you say on the show that a lot of those, uh, the, the painkillers, they actually have a little bit of caffeine in them? They do. Um, many, many of them. Um, if, if you look at, at the painkillers that are uh, often combinations of things, they add a little caffeine to it. And it's not just that the caffeine picks you up. It actually potentiates the, the painkilling action of the main drug that's, that's in there. Um, I have to say caffeine is something that a lot of people get habituated to. And its effects are unfortunately a bit mixed. Question from FM wants to know whether carrots can trigger migraines. Not that I've ever seen. Um, carrots are one of those foods on the list of pain safe foods. Let me give you this list, by the way. Um, this is golden for you if you've got migraines. Also, if you have digestive problems, um, if you have rheumatoid arthritis and you're trying to think, what the heck are my, 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 my triggers? The pain safe food list includes rice, like brown, brown, white rice is okay, but brown rice even better. It just doesn't trigger these inflammatory conditions. And then vegetables too, green vegetables or orange vegetables like carrots, uh, the best are when they are cooked. And the reason is that that can sometimes knock out, um, it sort of denatures the proteins a little bit. And finally fruits, but in the cooked form. So apple sauce, not an apple. Um, how do I use this list? Uh, let's say I've got migraines and they are driving me crazy and I've done everything I possibly can. And you went vegan for four weeks and your, your headaches were not quite gone. Now for the next week, two, three, really focus on the pain safe foods. Have lots of rice, have lots of vegetables cooked. You can have a lot of them, uh, beverages, water. That's it. It's a restrictive diet, but you don't have to limit calories. So you're not hungry. You're just a little bored. And then what you'll often find is your migraines are knocked out by this because you're not eating any trigger foods. Now, migraine's gone or joint pain is better, whatever it is. Now, reintroduce the foods you took out one at a time every two days and start at the bottom of my dirty dozen list. Uh, apples, bananas, they're, they're very rare as triggers. So have a lot of apples on Wednesday. And again, on Thursday, if that didn't trigger a migraine, it's not a trigger for you. Keep them. Uh, go to bananas. Add a lot of bananas to your diet, like three, four a day for a couple of days. If that didn't trigger a migraine, fine. Keep them. And then you go to the other foods, add them in one at a time every two days, having a generous amount as a test. And if they don't trigger pain, you keep them. And so your diet gets richer and richer and richer. And what most people find is that um, they discover one or two triggers that they didn't know they had. And if they avoid it, they are pain-free. And as, as long as you're then avoiding the really, really bad foods like meats and dairy and eggs and greasy stuff, um, you're going to find that it is a life-changing experience in many cases. I want to sneak one more food in there uh, as, in terms of migraine triggers here. Um, this is an interesting one from Nicholas, says that uh, he's twice gotten migraines while cutting garlic. Do you know of any connection there between garlic and migraine headaches? Did Who are you talking to? Who else was in your kitchen? What, mu <laughs> what music were they playing at the time? Uh, I have not heard that. But however, you will, you will hear people say 
that very strong odors and other things can sometimes be their thing. Um, th what's the best, the best gauge is what happened to you. If something triggered your migraines, like that intense um, a smell, you know, the garlic when it's intact doesn't really have much smell. But once the cell membranes are sliced through and these, this magical chemical reaction uh, occurs, not just in, in, um, in, in garlic, but in all the allium vegetables like shallots and onions and scallions, that big rush of chemicals that went into the air, went into your nose and your brain said, yikes, uh, and reacted to you. So, so if, if it has happened to you more than once, believe it. Boy, this, this name is fantastic. Dragon Ninja Mommy wants to know if there are non-nut sources of omega-3s that she could give her child because they are allergic. To nuts. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that you got to deal with a nut allergy. But, you know, they are more common. And, and I know you're talking to other parents who have the same issue. It's um, inconvenient and it's worrisome because you don't want your child to be exposed to something that can, that can hurt him or her. Um, but, yes, there are plenty of sources of omega-3. Let me give you my favorite one, um, kind of the most neglected, and that's green vegetables. So the little bit of, of spinach on a salad, I'm talking like uh, uncooked fresh spinach or cooked green vegetables, spinach, broccoli, all of them. You wouldn't think they have any oils at all. How could they have omega-3? Send it to a lab and they'll tell you it doesn't have much fat in it, maybe 8% of its calories. But of the fat that's in there, a surprisingly high portion is omega-3. So take advantage of it. Now, kids are phobic of green vegetables, so you got to find the way that they will eat them. Um, spinach salad, pretty good. Some kids like broccoli if you spray it with Bragg's aminos or something like that. But you'll find you'll find ways that they, they like them. Apart from that, flaxseed, chia seeds, um, they have lots and lots of them. And if you want, I'm not pushing this, but there are omega-3 vegan supplements online. They've got DHA and EPA that are selling like crazy. Now, it's what used to be thought of as, as the province of fish supplements, but for lots of good reasons, people are avoiding the fish supplements, but you will see online vegan DHA EPA. Um, if you're going to use those, give those to your child, talk to your pediatrician first, uh, because it's um, frankly something that kids for the most part are not going to need. Flax uh, seed, chia seed, green vegetables, can't go wrong. Let's stick uh, with the child diet theme here. We have a question from someone who says that my midwife told me that I need to eat three servings of dairy per day, but I'm still trying to reduce animal products. Should I really be eating all of that cheese and all of that milk? No, you shouldn't. And your, your midwife means well. Um, and I'm glad you're consulting with this person, but um, that is really old fashioned advice. Even a pregnant cow does not drink cow's milk. Um, and the, this, this whole idea, the, the idea is that you need protein, you need calcium, cow's milk, cow's milk, that's true. But what else does it have? It has estrogens in it. It has all kinds of chemicals in it. Um, and you, there, there is absolutely no requirement for cow's milk at any stage of life and certainly not during pregnancy. But you do need protein. You're going to get plenty of protein from grains, beans, vegetables. You'll get plenty of calcium from green leafy vegetables, also from beans. Um, don't forget your vitamin B12. It's important while you're pregnant, important while you're breastfeeding, and important for your child after birth. 
This question we've gotten a couple of times, but I'm not sure if we've ever really answered it on the show before. It comes to us from Teresa, wrote this at 1219, wants to know whether or not she should be eating potatoes because her cholesterol is getting higher. Is there a connection between potatoes and cholesterol? The connection is bacon bits. Um, if, if you're topping it with bacon, um, yes. Uh, if it's the potato itself, potato with Dijon mustard and pepper, no problem. Potato with salsa on top, no problem. There's no cholesterol. There's no animal fat in there. But if you top it with butter, sour cream, little bits of bacon, those kinds of things, that can raise your cholesterol right up. Uh, Janelle wants to know, is there a connection between high blood pressure and high cholesterol? Are those two really connected by themselves or is it all diet related? Um, I I think I would say the latter, um, meaning that one does not cause the other. High blood pressure doesn't cause high cholesterol. But uh, a diet that's rich in animal products tends to drive both. Animal products have cholesterol in them. Cholesterol is a, a little molecule. It's in the membrane of a muscle cell and all, and all other animal cells. And so if you're eating a steak or a chicken wing, you're eating the animal's muscle cells. Sounds appetizing, doesn't it? Well, you're getting the cholesterol that's built into those cell membranes and it adds to your own cholesterol. But even worse, the, the animal fat that you're eating has a lot of what's called saturated fat. That's the more solid fat. That stimulates your body, your liver and other cells to make additional cholesterol and that drives it up. And as you're eating that, then your blood is getting more viscous. We were talking about that earlier. Um, And your blood is getting thicker. So your blood pressure tends to go up. And animal products also are pretty high in sodium, especially cheese, but also a number of meat products have sodium. And so all of those conspire to raise cholesterol and raise blood pressure. And when you change your diet, they can all go back down. Let's uh, take another question about kids really quickly. This is from CFY. Wants to know whether you recommend any other specific supplements other than vitamin D, B12, and calcium for children who are eating a plant-based diet. Well, first of all, what a wonderful question. It's it's the greatest gift you can give to children is to give them a a healthy diet. And a plant-based diet is is the way to to do it. Um, And so the rules are four food groups, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, beans, and kids often have simple te- uh, simple tastes, so they may not yet be there with asparagus, but they get the green beans and corn. Um, that's fine. They do need B12, and that's really the only supplement that they definitely do need is vitamin B12. But you mentioned a couple of others that are worth thinking about. You mentioned calcium. They don't necessarily need a calcium supplement if they're getting lots of green vegetables, uh, sometimes calcium-fortified soy milk or other uh, plant milks. They may not need a calcium supplement, but 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 they they can be used. Uh, let your pediatrician know that that's what you're doing. Uh, vitamin D uh, normally comes from the sun on your skin. If you live near the equator or you're outside a lot, um, you might get uh, adequate vitamin D from that source. Otherwise, uh, then a vitamin D supplement for your child may make sense. Again, talk to your pediatrician. This is a question from Miwa coming in, wants to to ask this on behalf of her husband. This is an interesting predicament that he finds himself in, says that he began eating a whole food plant-based diet, but now needs to gain weight because he's lost so much of it because he works a job that demands so much physically from him. What recommendations might you have to make sure that he keeps his weight up and doesn't get too thin? Well, first of all, he's the envy of everybody else at work. That is great. Congratulations. So he, he lost all that, whatever uh, excess weight he had. Now he'd like to gain some more. Um, first of all, 
if he doesn't do anything, if he just sticks with a plant-based diet, he's not going to waste away because the weight that he lost, it's not like his muscles are smaller or his skin is thinner or his bones are smaller. The only thing he lost was that, that excess fat layer. Um, and so the fat layer that you have is really dictated by the fat that you eat. Um, so if he eats more fat, he'll put weight back on. If he's less fat, so tend to come off. Um, I would think twice before doing anything at all. And what I would suggest is check his BMI. Uh, go online, uh, plug in BMI calculator, body mass index calculator. You put in his height and his weight. If the number comes up between 18 and a half and 25, forget it. You're in a good range. Um, nowadays, a person who's got a BMI of 21 is going to be thought of, you're skinny. The reason they think you're skinny, you're normal. You, it's just that everybody else has a BMI of 35, and they're not, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you get the idea, that as the, our society has become heavier, a person who used to be regarded as a healthy weight is now regarded as too thin or whatever. So don't try to gain weight if you're if you're in a healthy range. If your BMI is below 18 and a half, half that's too skinny, and at that point, A, make sure you're eating. Make sure you're eating adequate amounts. And if you want to bring in occasional nuts and oils to make sure that you've got adequate calories, you, you can do that. But for most people, that's not really an issue. Judy's hanging out with the exam roomies today, says that since she adopted a whole food plant-based diet, her cholesterol has dropped by 50 points. That is fantastic. 50 points. That's nothing to shake a stick at, Dr. Barnard. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Uh, Anna Marie wants to uh, ask how you can increase your ability to become pregnant and even sustain pregnancy with diet and lifestyle. So if you eat a cleaner diet, does that increase your chances of becoming fertile? Yes, in several ways. And at the risk of sounding a little self-promotional, we, we have discussed this very issue in relation to my book, Your Body in Balance which has a whole big section on fertility and the things that affect it both for men and women. So if you don't mind, let me encourage you to have a look at your body and balance and, and the recipes were done by Lindsay S. Nixon and they are perfect illustrations of how to do this. But to, to, to uh, give you a couple of, of quick tips here. Number one, if your weight is not in a super healthy range, that, is, that affects fertility very, very strongly. And so a plant-based diet, vegan diet, without a lot of oil in it, minimize the oils, tends to help us get back into the body size that is um, where fertility is more likely. Um, and even a little bit of overweight is associated with fertility issues. So it's good to be in the normal range, even kind of the bottom part of the, the normal healthy BMI range, which you remember 18 and a half to 25. Uh, secondly, um, if you're not avoiding dairy, throw the dairy out now. Um, researchers have been looking at links between dairy and infertility. Uh, it's not so much um, a fertility killer for people who are uh, 16, 17, 18, but when women are, say, in their 20s, you start seeing fertility dropping off the more milk women consume. And at first, this was just kind of an epidemiologic mystery. Um, why is it that in Thailand, where women don't drink milk, they, they're fertile into their 30s at 40 and so forth? But in the U.S., uh, the fertility just drops off in, in the 30s. Uh, we think it's uh, galactose. The dairy sugar, lactose, breaks to a smaller pair of sugars called glucose and galactose. The galactose is toxic to the ovary, according to the best evidence we got. So skip the dairy. Uh, follow a healthy plant-based diet that'll help your weight to get back to where you want it. Um, and you'll see a lot more tips in your body and balance.
Let's go ahead and grab two more questions before we close up the doctor's mailbag today. This one comes to us from Jan, wants to know how much salt we actually need each day and whether eating too much of it can prevent weight loss. Wow. Okay. Yes. Um, salt is something that, although it's maligned a lot and for good reason, you do need a little bit. Uh, I hope you're not counting, but the amount that your body needs is 1500 uh, micrograms a day. Um, I'm sorry, 1500 milligrams a day. Um, that's a, the body's requirements. And, and once it gets kind of over that, it's going to start raising blood pressure. Uh, and so most people would say you want at least 1500 milligrams, but you don't want to go over 2300, so something like that, two grams, 2300. That's kind of the upper limit of where we want to be. Um, is it a problem above that? Yeah, it sure is. It raises uh, blood pressure. And will it raise my body weight? Uh, a little bit in the sense that uh, sodium, if you've ever done it, holds water. And that'll register on your scale as two or three pounds, not 15 pounds. Final question comes to us from Milan. Uh, this may be a, a very broad question, but it's an interesting one nonetheless. They want to know what are the best foods, generally speaking, for autoimmune conditions? Okay. Um, you want to avoid the bad stuff and put in the good stuff in its place. Here's, here's what we're talking about. An autoimmune condition means that your immune system is firing inappropriately. Your white blood cells normally make antibodies to attack a virus or a bacterium that has invaded. And now for some reason, the white blood cells are releasing antibodies in response to something else. That something else could be proteins in dairy products or other foods that you've taken in. So the autoimmune system means that you're somehow reacting to yourself. What does that mean? I make my white blood cells are making uh, these antibodies in response to some trigger, and now they're attacking me. They're attacking my joints. They're attacking my thyroid and shutting it down in Hashimoto's thyroiditis, or they can attack me in other ways. And there are lots of these, asthma, Sjogren's disease, rheumatoid arthritis, even type 1 diabetes. These are all autoimmune conditions. So uh, the big, big rule of thumb is that we want to avoid those triggering, th those triggers. Dairy probably is at the top of the list meats, animal products in general, you want to avoid them. For many people, that causes autoimmune conditions to get better. Some people need to go further and they avoid the, the trigger foods that I mentioned earlier. You'll see a big description of this um, in my book, The Cheese Trap, actually. Uh, in one of the appendices of that book, uh, because so many people respond to dairy products with autoimmune reactions, I put the whole elimination diet in there how to follow that and how to avoid the bad foods and, and how to use the pain safe foods that we described earlier in today's program. It would be so great if you could join us every Wednesday on Facebook and on YouTube for the exam room live. That is your best opportunity to ask the doctor your question whether that doctor be Dr. Neil Barnard or any one of our experts. And you can also send me your questions on Twitter or Instagram at ChuckCarrollWLC. Just make sure when you send it in, you use the hashtag ExamRoomLive. Let's switch gears now and head to the exam room news desk. 
Three physicians based in California are teaming with the Physicians Committee to sue the United States Department of Agriculture over the most recent dietary guidelines. The group, which includes Dr. Donald Forrester, says the USDA is pulling the wool over Americans' eyes by turning a blind eye of its own to well-accepted scientific evidence showing dairy has strong ties to prostate cancer. Now, according to the American Cancer Society, an estimated quarter of a million people will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, while almost 35,000 will lose their life. And that makes it one of the leading causes of cancer-related deaths. The suit also claims that the USDA is ignoring yet more evidence that one out of every four people are lactose intolerant, with especially high rates among Asians, African Americans, and American Indians. Further, the dietary guidelines say, quote, diet-related chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, and some types of cancer are very prevalent among Americans and pose a major public health problem. The guidelines add that more than half of adults in the country are currently suffering from a diet-related disease. But the lawsuit points out that the mountain of overwhelming and, again, well-accepted evidence shows that eating both meat and dairy is linked to many of those diseases. So, the suit is asking the USDA to reissue the guidelines with three major changes. One, eliminate dairy from those guidelines. Two, have a stronger focus on plant-based proteins rather than just meat. And three, strip the deceptive language that sweeps those aforementioned studies on meat and dairy under the rug and largely ignores the health risks that they pose. And you can find full details on that lawsuit in our news release. You can find a link to that in the episode notes. One of the things that makes the exam room so special is that rather than turning a blind eye to this data... We shine a bright light right on it. We try to bring it to the world so that our family, our friends, our loved ones, they don't have to become a statistic to another avoidable disease. They can arm themselves with information that can help them lead the healthiest life possible. And you can help us get that information to as many people as possible just by subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your favorite shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. That goes so far to help someone who needs this information discover it. And I want to thank you in advance. And for today, that's going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us and answering so many questions. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>